continue with the series of Repentance from Dead Works, which is the first of the six foundational doctrines taught us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And we're dealing with a section under that uh, doctrine, um, which I've titled The Fact That We Have Been Freed From Sin. And uh, it's a very necessary uh, part of that doctrine that we need to have an understanding of, because we need to be able to walk in this life free from sin. And so there's various aspects that we've looked at thus far, and um, I'll just recap briefly. We've looked at the fact that our spirits cannot sin, for our spirits are born of incorruptible seed. That incorruptible seed is the, the Word of God. And uh, the Apostle John uh, teaches us that he who is born of God cannot sin. And so we have seen that our spirits cannot uh, sin. Then we saw that our flesh can only sin. We saw that man is uh, the, the, the born-again believer is primarily made up of two parts, which is the flesh and the spirit. Um, there are obviously the other parts, the, the will of man, the conscience of man. But uh, we, in, in um, contrast, in the two parts of man that uh, deal with sin, uh, it's really we're looking at the flesh of man, <coughs> excuse me, and we're looking at the spirit of man. And the spirit of man cannot sin, but the flesh can only sin. And we saw that our flesh is made up of two parts. Primarily, it is these physical bodies that we dwell in. And we've inherited these bodies from Adam. And these bodies are contaminated with the sin virus. For we've inherited our blood from Adam. And his uh, body was contaminated with the sin virus when he committed sin. And then we also saw that our flesh is made up of uh, our carnal minds. And when we come into the kingdom of God, we all come in with carnal thinking. And we have to transition from carnal thinking to spiritual thinking. And that takes time. Uh, the Bible refers to it as the renewing of our minds. And so that we can do. We can renew our minds. And so as we become more spiritual in our thinking, obviously we will uh, be less prone to commit sin because it is only the carnal mind that commits sin. So our flesh is made up of our bodies and the carnal mind. And that is where sin resides. Uh, there's no sin in the spirit of man. And then we had a look at the fact that there are, in fact, two types of sin. And we spoke about the fact that there is what we call known sin and unknown sin. And unknown sin is uh, sins of ignorance, uh, because we commit those sins because we don't know any better. And unintentional sins, we, you know, that which we did, we did not intend to commit sin, but in fact we have committed sin. Uh, known sin is obviously sin that we know about. And so God deals with those two categories of sin differently uh, in that known sin, we have to apply 1 John 1, 9 to it, and we have to uh, confess that sin, repent of it, and ask the Lord for his forgiveness, and he then forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Whereas unknown sin falls into the category of 1 John uh, 1, 7 and 8, and that is that the blood of Christ is cleansing me from all sin um, when I walk in the light. The scripture says, uh, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, uh, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of uh, Jesus Christ cleanses us uh, from all sin. And that cleansing is a continual process. It's present tense. And so that's how the Lord deals with um, unknown sin. We saw that comparatively under the old covenant, the Jews, their unknown sin was cleansed once a year on the day of atonement. But under the new covenant, the saints their unknown sin is cleansed immediately as it's committed so that we can continue to remain in the light and walk in fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. It's very important that we understand that concept um, because that will help you in understanding how to walk in fellowship with the Lord. And then we had a look at the fact that uh, it, our Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever overcome sin in the flesh. And that has not really been taught very strongly in the church um, in that the, what has been taught in the church is that our Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins. He has become sin for us. He has um, washed us in his blood uh, from our sins. But uh, we don't really concentrate about on the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ actually overcame sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. And he did that because from the time that he was born into the earth until the time that he died, he never once committed any sin, um, even though he was born into a body with uh, the same likeness of, uh, of sin that my body has. 
Um, the book of Romans teaches us that. And yet he never once submitted to sin in his body. He never committed sin. And he overcame sin in the flesh for us. Because I'm able to now walk in that because it is no longer I who live. Galatians 2.20 But it is Christ Jesus who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I, li I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so th that is very important for us as well. All of this is important for us to understand. But that particular concept is very important for the believer to understand that that is how we overcome sin in the flesh, through Christ Jesus our Lord, because he's already done it and he continues to do it through his, his saints for those who believe it. We have to believe it. And we said this whole thing is, everything's based on faith. The just shall live by faith. And we have to believe that we have the ability to overcome sin in the flesh, not because of our own ability, but because of the ability of Christ in us. He has done it in his own lifetime when he was on the earth, and he is well able to do it through my life on the earth as well. And we need to believe that and walk in that. And when we do, um, believe in me, sin becomes no more of a problem to the believer. Then we had a look at the fact that we need to be exercising self-control in this walk, uh, in this life. Um, and we had a look at the nine fruit of the Spirit as listed to in the book of Galatians. And the very last fruit of the Spirit, um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness, uh, temperance, which is self-control. And so the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And we saw that self-control is in fact controlling of the flesh. For that is the, the self that we need to be controlling. It's not our spirit. For us, the, the spirit has that fruit of, of self-control. And so we certainly do not want to control uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, faith, uh, faithfulness, um, and temperance, because that's what we want to walk in. We want to walk in the fullness of that. In fact, we want greater fruitfulness in our lives at all time. But what we do want to control is the flesh. Because remember we said it's the flesh that can only sin. And so that is what we want to control. And we saw uh, Paul teaching us along the line that if we're going to walk in righteousness, then we have to exercise self-control. And uh, he, he practiced that. Um, and he said, I keep my body under. I bring it into subjection. Lest after I preach unto others, I myself should be uh, cast away. And so it's very important for us, if we're going to walk free from sin in this life, um, that we're going to have to exercise self-control and uh, bring these bodies under control and make sure that we do not allow them, for the scripture says, give the, uh, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And so we do not allow our, our bodies to fulfill their desires to, uh, to commit sin. Then we also saw that we need to be walking in the spirit. Um, for this whole um, Christian walk is in fact a, a spiritual walk. And uh, if I'm going to be able to walk free from sin, then I need to walk in my spirit. For my spirit will only walk in righteousness. My flesh will only walk in sin. And so the Bible gives us the choice. It says, um, do not um, fulfill the lusts of flesh. No, um, this, for the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And these are two are contrary to each other that you cannot do the things that you wish. And so the, 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 the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The point, the um, responsibility is placed on the believer to walk in the spirit. Uh, Paul says, this I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's up to us to walk in the Spirit. We do that as an act of our will. We have that ability. We have a free will. Um, no one forces us to do anything. We decide what we're going to do. Even God doesn't force us to do anything. Uh, he has given unto us our free will and we make that decision. He places the, the choice before us. And he says, this I say to you, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the, the lust of the flesh. And so it's very important for believers to walk in the Spirit. So how do we walk in the Spirit? We said, well, the Bible teaches us in uh, Romans chapter 8 that he who walks in the, um, in the flesh sets his mind on the things of the flesh, and he that walks in the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And so what we set our minds on, what we um, continually think about, that is what is going to dictate to us our behavior. For we do as we think. 
Um, and so even though your spirit might be wanting to serve God and walk in righteousness, if your mind is going to be set on the things of the flesh, you are going to do that. You're going to behave like that. You're going to start uh, acting like that. So you're going to walk in that. Um, and so we need to uh, transition our thought process from carnal thinking to spiritual thinking. We need to become spiritually minded. For when we do, then we will walk in that. Because our minds dictate to us the way we, be we behave. That which we are consistently thinking about. And so we need to give our thought processes over to the Word of God. We need to consistently be thinking about the Word of God. And you've got to look at our Lord's lifestyle. Uh, for He is the example given to us. We're going to be looking at some examples today. Um, he is the example given to us uh, in everything. And He would only, I'm talking about when our Lord was on the earth now, um, He would only ever think about and meditate on the Word of God. The Word of God was, was constantly on His mind. And we need to become like that. Uh, that when we're not, when we're driving down the road, that we shouldn't be thinking about, um, I don't know, thinking about the latest scoreboard of, of your uh, favorite soccer team or rugby team, whatever it might be. But you should actually give yourself over to thinking on the Word of God. Um, and the more you do that, the more you will begin to walk in the Spirit. Um, it's that's, it's that, that simple. And so today we want to have a look at examples that are put given to us in scripture that we can follow of men who have actually um, taken this walk in the spirit and they have applied it to their lives and they have been able to walk free from sin because don't forget this is really the goal we're trying to get believers to 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 attain is to walk free from sin in this life and that, that's it, it's quite a hurdle to overcome because as we mentioned before, the, the vast majority of the church does not believe that this is possible. The vast majority of the church believes uh, quite categorically that it is impossible to walk free from sin, that we will always commit sin, and that that is what the Christian life is, is uh, destined for. Uh, the only time that the Christian gets freed from sin is when they leave this life to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But that has, is not the Lord's uh, uh, perfect will for His church. His perfect will for His church is that in this life we walk free from sin and He has made provision for us to do exactly that. For when we do walk free from sin, we then enjoy the full blessing of God. Because think about it logically. If you're not committing any sin in your life, you're not allowing the, the devil access to your life in any form. Um, persecution can come without a, a doubt. Tribulation comes without a doubt. All of those uh, forces are brought to bear. Um, in fact, the scripture says, he who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Uh, is, I think Paul who said that. It might be better. Um, and so, you know, one of the consequences of living a godly life in this, in this life is that you will suffer persecution. But now, yeah, our Lord suffered persecution. He was the most godly man who ever lived. And the Bible talks about even in his youth, he was persecuted time and again. And you must understand, think about the Lord growing up as a, as a young boy uh, and never committing any sin. Now think about all the other little boys on the, the, on the school grounds and they, the way that they play and the way that they want to do things that are naughty. Our Lord could never partake in that because that would be committing sin. He never committed any sin. And so he was persecuted even in his youth. Time and again, he says. And this is the reason that he was, done, that he was persecuted is because to walk free from sin is to walk completely different to this life. Uh, and this life does not appreciate that because what happens is the person who is walking free from sin is the person who is then con just by their lifestyle now, not talking about saying you shouldn't do that, just by what they do and the way they behave and the way they speak, it brings condemnation on the others around them who are in fact uh, walking in sin because uh, light is exposing darkness. And so it's, it's, a, it's a difficult road to walk in this life, um, in this world, from that point of view. But from the point of view of receiving the blessing of God, from the point of view of enjoying fellowship with the Lord, well, it's, uh, there's no comparative. And so it is certainly the way that the believer should strive to go. And uh, we certainly have that ability. And so we want to look today at examples 
And we want to look at three specific examples given to us in Scripture um, that the Holy Spirit has put forward to us and said, these three men got it right. Follow them. Follow their example. And so that's what we want to look at today. And so the very first example we want to look at is our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is where a lot of Christians take strain because our Lord Jesus is our God. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. But He is also our brother. Uh, he is not ashamed to call us brethren because we are born of God as He is born of God. He is the firstborn uh, from the dead. Uh, and He receives preeminence in all things because He is the firstborn. And He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And so He is the Almighty God. Um, but at the same time, He is also our brother. And he has shown us the way in that he has taught us. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And he has shown us the way that we should live. And some, sometimes, as I say, we forget that when our Lord Jesus Christ lived on the earth, that he lived on this earth in exactly the same manner that we do. And I need to qualify that because obviously he didn't. Um, so how do I get around this? Um, he lived in a body that was exactly the same as ours. The scripture in Romans says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. He, he, he dwelt in a body in the likeness of sinful, sinful flesh. The Bible in the book of Hebrews tells us that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so his body was subjected to the same types of temptation that our bodies are subjected to. Um, and so he had, when he came into the earth, he had to grow in strong in spirit. The Bible teaches us in the book of Luke's gospel that our Lord Jesus grew strong in spirit. And so he had to grow in the things of God, um, just as we do. Once we're born again, we have to grow in the things of God as well. Um, and so he, he had the same ability to fail that I have. I'm talking about as a born-again believer now. I'm not talking about somebody who's not yet uh, come into the kingdom of God, because uh, then it's different, because my spirit is alive to God, even as our Lord's spirit was alive to God when He was on the earth. For our Lord was spiritually alive to God. So that, was, that, that differentiated our Lord from everybody else that was around Him on the planet at the time, um, besides for little children, that is. But it, all adults around Him, all adults around Him, um, no matter who they were, uh, all of his apostles uh, that he had chosen were all spiritually dead. They were all separated from the life of God. Jesus was the only one who was spiritually alive to God. And so he enjoyed fellowship with God. And God never left him. And he said, he said you know, my father is always with me. And I do nothing but that which I see my father do. I say nothing but which I hear my father give me to say. And so Jesus was constantly in fellowship with God the Father um, and the Holy Spirit because he was spiritually alive to God. So that differentiated him between himself and the rest of the world. But with regards to the physical body that he dwelt in, it was not a, a, a supernatural body. It was the same kind of body that we dwell in. And so Jesus was able to now live out the life his, his, his life in the earth as born-again believers can live out their lives in the earth because our spirits are also become, have become as Christ's spirit for we are one with the Lord, one spirit with Him. And so our spirits are alive to God and our spirits are in constant fellowship with God and in constant fellowship with our Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, for they indwell us and, and so you know, God dwells within us and He walks within us. Uh, and he talks in us. And so from that aspect, we're exactly the same as our Lord Jesus. Now, from the other aspect of the bodies that we dwell in, we're also in exactly the same state that our Lord was in, in that the body I dwell in is, no, is not an inferior body to the body that my Lord Jesus dwelt in before he went to the cross. I'm not talking about after he was raised from the dead. I'm talking about before he went to the cross. He dwelt in a body that is exactly the same as the body that I dwell in now. And so the, the, the equation between the born-again believer and our Lord Jesus when he was on the earth is like for like, exactly the same. 
We have the same spiritual um, relationship that Jesus enjoyed, and we have the same physical um, constraints that Jesus had. Jesus' body also got weary, also got tired. He also had to sleep. Um, and so he, his body was subjected to the same um, sinful passions that mine is. He just did not allow his body ever to succumb to those sinful desires and those sinful passions. And so we do need to get that concept right and understand it um, in order for us to walk as Jesus walked. Because unless we do that, we will always think of Jesus. All right, Jesus was different. Jesus had, you know, was on a different level, a different plane. Not at all. In this life, when he walked on the earth, he was in the same manner. Uh, it's difficult to get the, the spiritual truth across sometimes in the words. But he was as I am. And so I can be as he was. And again, we go to John's uh, epistle where he said, He who abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. So if I can walk, if the, the Holy Spirit, and, and that, is script, that scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit says to me, if you abide in Christ, you ought to be walking as Christ walked. Um, he's not, uh, God's not teasing me on this issue. He's saying, I, I should be able to do it. Because why? Because I can do it because Christ is in me. And so that's how I can do it because he did it. And so I can um, overcome sin in the flesh just as my Lord Jesus did. And so our Lord Jesus was subjected to the same temptations that we're subjected to. But he never once ever committed any sin. And so he overcame sin in the flesh for us. We've dealt with that in the previous teaching and uh, you can go back on those teachings and pick that up. Let's have a look at a scripture that just helps us to understand this concept. Because it is, it's a mindset again that we have to get our minds around. That, uh, you know, it's not... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It is not um, blasphemous. That's not the right word, but kind of the right word. It's not blasphemous for us to think along this line. You know, the, the, the scripture says in uh, Philippians that we should have the same mind as our Lord had, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. So, you know, Jesus, he was in the form, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. And so we shouldn't consider it robbery to be equal with our Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus is our Lord, and He has pre and we worship Him. He is our Creator. He is our God. But I'm talking about on the on the the level where He wants us to walk at. He wants us to walk at the level where He walked, and He's got no problem with us when we do that. He said, "You know, you, uh, a servant cannot be greater than his master." But He did say, "It is." Um, I'm paraphrasing, it is good enough for the, the servant to be as his master, to become like his teacher. And so Jesus has no problem with us becoming like him. Um, we can't be greater than him because he's, he's God. Uh, we're, we're the creation. He's the creator. Um, but he, has, he, has, he delights in us becoming like him. That's, what he's, that's our whole plan. He, his whole desire is for his children to become just like him. That's the plan of God. We have to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So <clears throat> let's get to the scripture that I wanted to quote, which is in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The scripture says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And so the book of Hebrews, this passage of Scripture, puts forward our Lord Jesus as an example. For it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And, but in that context where he says we should look unto Jesus, he's, he's 
telling us to look unto Jesus in the context of dealing with sin. For he goes on to say, he said in verse 3, For consider him, this is Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet, what? Resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And so the, the, the Holy Spirit is putting forward Jesus as the example to the body of Christ and saying, saying to us, look at your Lord. This is how he did it. He, he resisted sin to that degree that he actually shed his blood. Um, and we haven't got there yet. And no man uh, after our Lord Jesus has had to resist to bloodshed striving against sin. But Jesus had to, and he could do that. And so the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, if the Lord could do it, you can do it as well, because you don't go through what he actually went through. Um, and, you know, our Lord went through tremendous temptation to commit sin. Um, and so the Holy Spirit is saying, no matter how hard you might find the, the temptation in your life to commit sin, it's nowhere near what our Lord went through in, in the fact that he was tempted to commit sin. And we need to, you know, there was so much that uh, we don't really understand about what our Lord went through um, being tempted to commit sin. But there's one aspect I want to just highlight on today, and that is when our Lord went to the cross. Now, right through that whole process, from the time of Garden of Gethsemane, when uh, he was first uh, handed over to uh, the Romans, or to, to, it wasn't the Romans at that time, sorry, uh, first handed over to the, the high priests and their God and their temple God and all of those guys, uh, by Judas, when Judas betrayed him. At, from that point onwards, our Lord went through a tremendous amount of persecution, um, suffering, physical suffering, um, mental abuse, uh, verbal abuse, uh, you know, you name it, our Lord went through it for all that period of time. And that was, you know, quite a number of hours. And he was subjected to uh, immense pain. Um, you know, we just have no idea just how much pain our Lord actually went through uh, in that whole process. As I say, right from the time of the Garden of Gethsemane, where he, became, he was made to be sin. Um, now, all through that time... Because don't forget, now think about the, you've got to get this right in your own mind. Jesus Christ is in a body like ours. He doesn't have a superman body, okay, that, you know, you can do whatever you like to it, but yeah, he just doesn't feel it. No, he felt everything that we feel. And he felt every emotion that we feel. He was made like us. He had to be made like his brethren, the Bible says, in all points like his brethren. So he was made like us emotionally as well. Um, you know, the, the, the rejection that he felt that day, and you know, obviously through his life as well, because he was rejected even by his own family. But uh, it's just, as I said, I just want to concentrate on, on what, what our Lord went through from the Garden of Gethsemane up until the time he died on the cross, because there's so much more before that and so much more after that still. But let's just, for this purpose of today's teaching, concentrate on that time period. It was from about, I don't know, maybe about 3 o'clock in the morning until uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, or a bit later than that, that our Lord goes through that. So it's a 12-hour period of absolute abuse. And as I say, physically, the abuse, and you, leading up into that, if you go read the scriptures, you will see our Lord had been fasting going up into that period. And he had absolutely no fat on his body. He had fasted to that degree when he went to the cross. Um, and so he talks about the fact that he, he, his knees were weak and feeble because of uh, the lack of fatness in his body, because he had, had no, been fasting. And so even going into the process, he's physically weak. Now, the, the angel had strengthened him in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember, when our Lord was praying. Well, God the Father had sent the angel to him and had strengthened him. So he had received some strength from God the Father, but nevertheless, the body was still weak. And then he goes into this whole process of, of physical uh, abuse on that, on that body. And, you know, th there's just so much pain that the body can take. And now the mind starts to, to, you know, he had the same mind that we have. 
And so he, he was vulnerable in this because in that pain that he was going through and in that abuse that he was going through, um, it is very easy for an, an, a, a person to, you know, let slip and to, you know, react, even, in, even slightly react. Um, think about when Paul, for argument, hey, let's look at Paul just quickly. Remember when Paul's standing before the, the Sanhedrin and the, the council and they, they're busy questioning him and Paul makes the comment, he says, I've lived in all good conscience before God and men until this day. And the high priest tells the guy, the God, whatever next to him, strike him on his mouth. And the guy strikes Paul. And Paul reacts. Paul says, God will strike you, you whitewash wall, because you uh, judge me according to the law and you, you instruct me to be struck, uh, you command me to be struck contrary to the law. Um, and so Paul reacted there. Now, that's what I'm talking about. Our Lord was tempted to react because you know yeah the guys are spitting at him the guys are mocking him the guys are, are hitting him whipping him oh, there's just so much happening to him um and he's accused on all sides and you know he knows all of these accusers are false accusers he knows that they all they they, they, they speaking lies in front of his face and they can, can they are um accusing him falsely uh, you know, they're just making up all this rubbish and, you know, he has to look at it and receive it and not do anything about it. Look what the scripture says in Psalm 39. This is how our Lord deals with this process because he cannot commit sin. He cannot slip in any way, even in this process. He has to remain sinless. So look what he does. Psalm 39, beginning in verse 1. I said... I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. Verse 2, I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. And so our Lord made the conscious decision, I'm not going to say anything. Through this whole process, I will keep my mouth shut, even from speaking good. Because just in case I manage to say something that is actually sinful, that my father would then treat as sin, and, I, and then I've, I've, messed up, I've messed up. And so our Lord goes through this process, through that whole process, never once committing sin. He does not react. He keeps quiet, and they accuse him, and they spit on him, and they beat him. But he doesn't say anything. Now, there were comments that the Lord made to Pilate, but he never says anything to the priests. He does the one time. He said, you guys are not going to let me go no matter what I say to you. Um, so there were uh, you know, comments that the Lord did make um, that obviously were controlled at, at the time. But for the majority of the time, our Lord puts a muzzle on his mouth because he doesn't want to slip up by committing any sin. He doesn't want to slip by committing sin with his tongue. Um, in this process because he's going through such pain and he's, he's almost delirious and he doesn't want to uh, in that state slip up and commit sin and so he holds he, he puts a, a muzzle over his mouth and look at how close it gets we don't realize just how close the, the salvation of mankind actually got um, and uh, there's two comments in scripture that show us how close it actually came this is one of them Psalm 119, verse 87, our Lord speaking, he says, They almost made an end of me on the earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. And so the Lord said, and yeah, I got that close. They almost made an end of me on the earth. Now, I really, I nearly got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. Um, and so, you know, that's how close. And we say, oh, you know, they come here because Jesus is Jesus. He's God. No, he went to the cross as a man. He went to the cross as the son of man. He was also the son of God, but he went to the cross as the son of man. And so, and at that time, don't forget, he's on his own. He does not have God the Father. He does not have God the Holy Spirit. They have forsaken him at that time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They had to forsake him because he became sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. He's on his own. He's completely on his own. 
And in fact, uh, there's another part of scripture where the Lord says, uh, all he had was the word of God. And that's all the Lord had from the time he, in the Garden of Gethsemane until our Father raised him from the dead. Three days later, after being in, in hell, even in hell, three days, for three days and three nights, he has nothing but the word of God. That's all he has. And he's a man. He's a, the son of man. He's not the son of God at that time in, that, in what he's incurring. He's incurring the pain that the world has to go through as the son of man. He's going through that as the son of man. And so this is the, the, the degree of temptation that our Lord resisted in not committing any sin. Now, none of us have to go through that. Jesus went through that. He's the only man who could have ever done that. Um, and he has. And he's done that for us. We don't have to go through that. But that's why the, uh, the writer, um, or Paul writes in, in the book of Hebrews, we need to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest we become weary and discouraged in ourselves. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And so we haven't gone through what Jesus went through in order to, in striving against sin. And so no matter how bad the temptation is in, to, to commit sin, you know, we can, our Lord has gone far beyond what we go through. Um, in the temptation and he overcame that so if he overcame that he's well able to overcome what we go through and remember God is faithful the Bible says God will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we are able but with all uh, temptations he makes the way of escape for us and so you know God is even faithful up in that point when we're going through temptation he doesn't allow Satan to tempt us beyond that which we are able. And so the Bible puts forward our Lord Jesus Christ as an example, an extreme example, without a doubt, because none of us would be able to go through what our Lord went through and not commit sin. However, He did that, and now He indwells me. And so when I get tempted in whatever sin that I'm being tempted in, it might seem big, it might seem that you know, everybody is against me, but guys, it's nowhere near what our Lord went through. And so the Bible, the Holy Spirit says, look at your Lord, look at looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who started this whole thing. He's finished it and we can walk in him. And he set the example and that's who we follow. Um, and so we're able to overcome temptation to sin uh, because Christ in us has already overcome it, as I say, to the extreme. That's how much he went through to resist uh, committing sin. Uh, we're well able to overcome whatever temptation might come our way. Another scripture we want to look at, for, uh, and we've discussed this briefly before, is in Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Our Lord speaking, he says, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so again, we've made the comment that our Lord, when he made this comment to Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he was talking from experience. He's saying, guys, I understand what, what, what you're going to go through. Because at that time, don't forget, their spirits were dead. But he's talking futuristically for them, and he's talking to us as believers. The spirit is, is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so that's what Jesus experienced in his life, is that his spirit was willing always to do the things of God. But his flesh was weak, and he had to keep his flesh under. And he had to uh, make sure that he, he, he didn't allow uh, any sin to be made manifest through his flesh. And so our Lord identifies with this issue. Because remember, the, the scripture in the book of Hebrews says that you know, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses because he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus can identify with the, the weaknesses that we experience because he was subjected to those same weaknesses. But he overcame those weaknesses. And so he, can, he gives us grace to over, because that in, in that context, the scripture says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And so, yes, we come before the Lord. Lord, you, you've gone through this. I need your mercy. I need your grace in this that I can overcome. And that's exactly what he does. He gives us his grace to overcome in those areas. But then again, the Lord also does make this comment. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And so our Lord is just giving us a bit of a, a, a guidance here. He says, that, you know, it's actually better for you to not go into temptation at all. It's, that, that's the first prize. 
know, when you get into temptation, you can come to me. It's my throne of grace. I'll give you the grace to get through it and to overcome it. But actually, what is better for you is not to get into the temptation in the first place. And the way that you get around temptation, our Lord says, watch and pray, that you, lest you enter into temptation. And so one of the, the safety mechanisms available to the Christian is that the one who uh, spends a lot of time in prayer um, is automatically prevented from a lot of temptation coming in their way because they've prayed through the situations and God is able to, to manipulate things behind the scenes so that temptations don't come our way. For the believer who doesn't spend too much time in prayer, Satan is able to bring temptations, more temptations into their lives. And so they have to then deal with that many more temptations. So our Lord was just kind of giving us a bit of a heads up there and saying, guys, this is one way, and it's actually quite a good way to, to overcome temptation to sin, is actually just avoid it. And the way that you do it, spend time in prayer. Because when you, and praying in the Spirit, uh, primarily. Because when you're doing that, you're obviously with God the Father are able to take care of certain things so that Satan is not allowed, to, not able to bring as many temptations into your life as you would think. Otherwise, it could occur, let's put it that way. And so we put forward our Lord Jesus Christ as an example, but I understand that the vast majority in the church um, don't buy that. <laughs> Their thinking is still, uh, 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 uh. no, 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 Jesus was special and he was Superman. And so, you know, for you to try and tell me that I can be my like Lord Jesus is uh, la la land. That's not uh, for me. Thank you very much. Don't try and tell me I can be like my Lord. Um, I can't do that. He could do that because he had godlike powers. Uh, you know, he was God. And so, you know, you try and convince some, some Christians about along this line. In fact, you try and convince most Christians along this line. Uh, they'll kind of nod and say, yeah, but you know, behind the scenes, they say, uh-uh, <laughs> it's just not true. Uh, Jesus was different. And uh, so if you try and get me to follow his example, I'm not going to buy it. So I won't go down that line. Thank you very much. Do you have any other examples out there? And so, yes, the Lord is good to us. He does have other examples out there. And so we're going to have a look at a couple of other examples now, just to show you that, in fact, it is possible for uh, believers to walk free from sin. And not only uh, our Lord Jesus Christ who can walk free from sin. So the first one we're going to look at is John, the Apostle John. And let's have a look at what he had to say about this topic. Uh, he's writing in 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, and he says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, talking about our Lord Jesus, that you also may have fellowship with us. Now, you need to listen to this passage of Scripture because we're going to analyze it and see what John is actually saying. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So at the opening of this statement, John invites us as believers to have fellowship with him and his team. For he says, um, that which we've had, that you may have fellowship with us, so you also may have fellowship with us. So he said, we declare this to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. Now, when he does that, he goes on to say that him and his team are, in fact, walking in fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. For he says that, for he says, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so he's categorically saying that John is saying, and he says, our, so he's talking about him and his ministry team, our fellowship is with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we invite you guys to enjoy that same fellowship with us 
And obviously, as we enjoy the fellowship with John and his team, so we will also enjoy fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ, just as they are. And he's saying this is the, this is the status quo that they are enjoying at that time when he writes this letter. But he goes on to say that in God, there is, God is light, and that in him is no darkness at all. John is very black and white, which is great, because that's the way the Bible is actually written. There's no gray area in the Bible. So God, he says God is light, and there's no darkness at him at all. So he's really categorically putting it out there that, you know, light is light, and there's no gray. And so he says God is light, and there's no darkness at him at all. Now he goes on to say, <clears throat> you need to be enjoying fellowship with us. And we're enjoying fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And the point that I wanted to put across here is that um, there's a distinct difference between being in Christ and having fellowship with Christ. And that's where John is putting the point across here. It's one thing to be in Christ, but it's another thing entirely to be in fellowship with Christ. All Christians are in Christ, and all Christians in their spirits have Christ dwelling within them, because you know He never leaves us, nor forsakes us. But not all Christians walk in fellowship with Christ. They do not enjoy having fellowship with Him. So they might be in Him, they, might, well, they are in Him, and He is in them, but the fellowship side of it is completely cut off, because not all Christians walk in the light. So although all Christians are light, for our spirits become light when we're born again, and in Him is light and there is no darkness at all. He is light, sorry, and there is, in Him there is no darkness at all. And so that is why my spirit and Him um, are completely at, at one. But in order for me to enjoy fellowship with Him, I need to now walk in that light which is completely different. It's not the same as being in the light. It's now a case of me walking in the light. How do I walk in the light? I walk by my behavior, by what I'm doing. That determines whether I'm walking in the light or not. Um, and so what John is saying, he says, we are walking in the light and we're enjoying fellowship with God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And in verse 6 he says, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk where? In darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. And so for, there's many Christians who you know, say, well, I'm in fellowship with God, but they actually are not. They're lying because they are walking in darkness because they are walking in known sin. Now, don't forget we're talking about known and unknown sin because in this very passage of Scripture, in verse 7, he talks about the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin when we walk in the light as He is in the light. So... If I'm walking in sin, I'm now walking in darkness. If I'm walking in darkness, I cannot at the same time be enjoying fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. It's, it, it's an absolute impossibility. John says you're lying if you say that. And so that's just another, another sin that you just committed right there. So if you're walking in known sin, don't, don't try to fool yourself. You're not walking in fellowship with God um, because you've cut the fellowship, not God. Uh, you're, you've, you've, you've stepped out of light, you've stepped into darkness. And so there's no fellowship because in Him, He is light, and in Him is no darkness. And so you can't get back in until you get rid of the darkness. Now, when John says they're walking in fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, he's not being hypocritical in saying, well, we're actually, we, we, we're in the same boat you are. We... we we're lying about this thing because, you know, we're actually walking in darkness, but we're enjoying fellowship. No, that's not true. John and his team are saying, no, we're walking in the light, guys. Uh, there's no darkness in us. We're not walking in darkness at all. We're not walking in any sin. And therefore, we're enjoying fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And he's also not saying that, you know, this is a very unique uh, state we're in. You know, we managed to get in here for a few minutes. And you guys need to jump in and join us as quickly as you can because, you know, we know that in the next hour or so we're going to commit sin and we're going to step out of fellowship with God. Now you say, this is our chosen lifestyle. We walk in light. We choose not to walk in darkness. And because we do that, uh, we're enjoying fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And we invite you to join us in that same state. Um, but he, as, he, as I say, he categorically says, if we say we have fellowship with Him but walk in darkness, 
We're lying. We're not practicing the truth. And so you cannot walk in darkness and enjoy fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. But John and his team were walking in fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. And the reason that they were doing that is because they were walking in the light. John and his team were not living a life of sin. They were walking free from sin. They had made a conscious decision. They were not going to walk in darkness. They're going to walk in the light. And because they're walking in the light, they were enjoying the fellowship that they had with God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And so John and his team um, were well able to overcome sin. You know, he's not saying that it reached some spiritual stage, yeah? He's just saying this is you know, it's a conscious decision we made. Uh, we're going to walk in the light because we've heard from him. This is the message we got from him, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so if I want to have fellowship with him, I cannot be walking in darkness. I have to be walking in the light. And if I want to walk in the light, I've got to be rid of all known sin. Unknown sin, he takes care of my, uh, himself as I walk in the light with him. But if I have any known sin, I have to get rid of it. And the moment I do, I'm now in fellowship with him. And, he's, and John is saying, stay there. Stay in that fellowship place. Stay in that place where you are consistently in the light, as he is in the light. And that is quite possible for believers to do. For John would not have invited us, or the Holy Spirit through John, would not have invited believers to walk in that place if it wasn't possible for us to continuously walk in that place. Um, free from sin, free from darkness, and walking in the light. And so John, uh, the apostle, and his team, by the way, uh, were able to walk free from sin. And obviously the next example we're going to look at is the example of uh, the apostle Paul, who is another fellow believer who overcame sin in his life. And let's look at that uh, opening passage of scripture that I read right at the outset of this series of teachings. Again, just to uh, re-emphasize the fact of what Paul actually said. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although, and here are his credentials as a sinner. Although I formerly, I was formerly, I was, I passed in, sorry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. In other words, God saved me. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, this is the crux. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was chief. I know I put it in there because the Bible says of whom I am chief. Um, Verse 16, however, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. And so I put in the words because it is the words, because that's what Paul actually said. He said, I used to be that, that I was formerly a blasphemer and persecuted and an insolent man. Since Christ has saved me, I'm not in that category anymore. And so Christ has put me forward as the example that this is what I can do. I've taken a Paul, Saul, and I've turned him into a Paul. And so Paul's saying, Jesus has put me forward as the example. I used to be a sinner. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm now a saint. And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 1. And uh, Paul then backs it up when he, go, when he talks to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 3, he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And I thought we had to judge ourselves. The Bible says, judge yourself. But anyway, he says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, why does he say that? Verse 4, for I know of nothing against myself. Yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Paul says, I, I actually don't know of any sin that I've committed. I know of nothing against myself. And so... But he, he qualifies it. He said, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Because Paul knows the difference between known and unknown sin. So he doesn't know of any sin that he's committed. So he doesn't have to now go repent before the Lord and say, Lord, okay, that which I said yesterday, I, I need to repent of. Because he makes this very bold statement. He says, for I'm no, I don't know of anything against myself. You know, I've checked up and I'm clean. Um, he said, but I'm not justified by this because the, my Lord is my judge. Um, and uh, 
he, he, he sorts me out from the sin part of, of life because, again, Paul understands the difference between known sin and unknown sin. And so just because he doesn't know that he's committed any sin uh, doesn't mean he hadn't committed any sin because most probably he had. But he said, you know, the Lord deals with that because he's my judge. And so he understood that the, the blood of Christ was cleansing him from the unknown sin. But as far as the known sin was concerned, Paul said, uh-uh, I've checked up. I've got nothing against myself. I don't know of anything. The Lord has not said, okay, Paul, you actually missed, you missed up on that. You should have, shouldn't have said that. He said, you know, I'm walking before the Lord and my heart's not condemning me. And so I don't know of anything against myself. So I don't even judge myself. Um, he said, you guys can judge me. It's a very small issue if you want to judge me. Not, he says, it's not a big thing in my life because Jesus is actually my judge. He says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. I am so reliant on Jesus being my judge that, you know, I, I know that if I mess up at any time, Jesus reveals it to me straight away and I sort it out straight away. And so I actually don't have anything against myself. Um, and Paul was making that statement very confidently when he said, uh, for I know nothing against myself. You, you, you try to work out how many Christians can actually make that statement. Um, but in fact, he did. Now, here's another bold statement that Paul made to the church by the Holy Spirit, by the way, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And so here Paul is putting himself forward to the church as an example. He's saying, guys, if you really want to get it right, if you want to live this Christian life like you should live it, look at me. I'm the example. Uh, the Lord has put me forward as an example because, again, all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it, it does no injustice for us to say the Holy Spirit is telling the church, imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. Same thing. And Paul is saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul is saying, I've looked at Christ and his life and I've seen how he does it. And I'm imitating him. I'm doing it like he did it. I'm walking as he walked. And so if you really, if you, you're struggling to walk as Christ walked because, you know, you think, okay, well, um, Christ was God. And so, you know, I can't really walk like Christ. Paul says, okay, well, then don't look at Christ then. Imitate me. I'm a man. I'm in front of you. This is who you, you can look at me now. You, you, you. And Paul lived in these churches for years at a time. And so they lived, they, they, they saw him, they lived, they ate with him, they uh, stayed in the same places with him. They knew him intimately. They knew his lifestyle. He's, he puts his lifestyle forward in numerous occasions in the church. He said, guys, I've set the example. And so here he says very plainly, look at me. This is the way I'm doing. And I'm actually getting it right. I'm living like Christ lived. And so if you really want to see how to do it, and you, you're struggling to look at your Lord because you think, yeah, okay, well, you know, Christ is a bit too high of an example, well, then look at me. I'm the guy who's got it, got it right, and I'm putting myself forward. In fact, the Holy Spirit has told me to put myself forward to the church that we can look at Paul and we can say, okay, well, that's how we need to do it. And Paul did it. So Paul is saying, I got it right. Just as Jesus got it right, so did I. Next I don't walk, I've known nothing against myself. I don't commit sin anymore. I've got this thing right. I've learned how to keep my body under and bring it into subjection so that I don't mess up and commit sin. And so I, I can do it just like my Lord Jesus Christ did it. And therefore, uh, you can look at me and you, if you do, if you imitate, imitate me, if you if you practice your, your life like my life, in other words, Okay, Paul did it that way, I'm going to do it that way. He says, if you do that, you're going to get it right. You're going to be just like me, you're going to be just like Christ. And that's, you know, it's a, not a complicated formula then. That's pretty straightforward. That Paul got it right. And Paul got it right, John got it right, our Lord got it right. We certainly can get it right. How many ministers of the gospel do you know who are quite com comfortable standing up in front of the whole church, nation, worldwide, and say to them, guys, Imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. I don't think there's too many out there that would be bold enough to make that statement. Paul was, and he did it by the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit never had allowed that verse of Scripture in Scripture had it not been true. It was true, and so the Holy Spirit did put it in, and we can do just like Paul did it.
Another scripture I want to look at, and we're going to get close to closing off here, is in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? This is Paul writing again to the church. Shall we continue in sin that grace may, may abound? Verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And so Paul's not a hypocrite. He would never tell the church because he's telling us, you guys, we don't, we don't commit sin anymore. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. It's very clear. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And so Paul is not a hypocrite. He is not living in sin anymore. And he's telling the church, guys, you don't do it anymore. We do not live in sin anymore. And Paul had learned how to walk free from sin. John had learned how to walk free from sin. Our Lord walked free from sin. Paul practiced what he preached. John practiced what he preached. Um, our Lord Jesus set himself as the example to his church. And that is where we can go. We have the ability to walk completely free from sin. And I trust that as you look at these examples and go through this series of teachings, you will uh, have a clear understanding of the fact that you too can walk free from sin. You can imitate Paul even as he imitated Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're going to end the teaching on that point today. Amen.